everyone. This is George Kuros with another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I'm with my good friend, Dee Tereski. We're just having an exhilarating talk before we got onto this podcast. And uh, we're going to talk about a few things, but I've known Dean uh, for years. He's actually one of the people uh, that actually encouraged me uh, when I first got on Twitter, started connecting, sharing. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how we connect with others online. Uh, but Dean is someone that uh, is like a brother to me because I appreciate him, but I also fight with him all the time. And uh, it's one of the things I love him. So Dean, can you just introduce yourself, tell a little bit about your what you do in education now and just tell a little bit about who you are and why I inspire you so much? Yeah, why? Well, <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I am wearing pants. That last part. Oh, thanks. I am wearing pants because you, you actually had that in the invitation that I was supposed to wear pants. <laughs> I am. Good. Um, I'm a big, so, I'm a big shorts guy too. Well, actually, before you introduce yourself, I wear shorts on a plane. Yeah, I don't do that. that. Even though you're, you're that. kind of anti-pants. Why? Yeah, that's right. But it's just like, that's one thing. You've never seen the Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> bit by Larry David. That's what I just say yeah. to everybody. Like, it's just, it's nice for you, but like, you should be thinking of other people. It's basically the same, right? I think it's actually the same as wearing a mask. Like, you don't... You wear a mask when you're right around other people. You don't have your hairy legs sticking out beside What you. if they're like capris, though? I know you like capris. doesn't matter. I'm not judging who's, no. Well, capris, maybe, I suppose. That's like having the mask under your okay, okay. nose covering your mouth. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for another uh, podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dean. I'm Dean Shiresky, and I am, uh, boy, these introductions are hard. So I, I'm an educator. Uh, I taught. Yeah, I've been an administrator, worked for school districts, uh, worked for Discover Education for eight years. The last year I've been on my own uh, doing a lot of different stuff, everything from, uh, you know, supporting uh, small teams in uh, Virginia, working, doing some contract work, doing a lot of work in British Columbia as well with uh, administrators there. And so just a variety of stuff. So as boring as that is, that's the way it is. Well, and, you know, like one of the reasons I actually – wanted uh to talk to you uh was because you you talk you've talked a lot about joy in education and honestly right now it's probably one of the hardest times to find joy maybe and maybe i'm wrong maybe there are there are instances where we do this so like with all the stress that's happening with you know covid um you know kind of moving virtual i've seen like i saw something you've tweeted about like hybrid learning and you know, some of the controversies there um, and struggle. Like it's, it's overwhelming. It's complex. Uh, I think for me personally, I believe everyone's trying to do the best job. I know a lot of times administrators, uh, you know, get attacked, but I don't think any of them are trying to ruin anyone's lives, but they're in tough situations. But like with all of these complexities, all of the stress, like where do you see joy? Like, how do you see this? Is this something that, we need an education right now. Like, how do we bring it out? Like, where is that place for joy? Because I know it's something for me, you know, being able to have this podcast with you, even though like, you know, I love your ideas. I love just sitting and talking with you too. And it's kind of a joy to my day as much as I pretend it's not. But like, where do you see that place for joy in education? Well, I mean, I don't think it's on the one hand, I don't think it's specific to a particular time. Like it's easy to say, you know, when just like in our own lives, right? When things are going well, when we're healthy, when we have all this stuff, well then we're, you know, Hey, things are awesome. 
But I think joy is kind of a disposition and, and it's one that you certainly want to have carried with you, particularly when the thing, when things are difficult. And I, and, and again, it's, I, I don't, I think people sometimes confuse it with just like being happy or, well, you're, you know, you can't ignore all the things. Absolutely. There's all kinds of challenges, but right. you know, there's something, I, I don't know that, that you find, like we talk a lot in education. We're pretty good at saying, Oh, we want kids to work through the struggle. And, and we sort of almost upplay that. And now we actually have the struggle. Like everybody's going right. through a difficult time. It's, it's, it's one thing when it's hypothetical and we, we talk about a child who's struggling or, or whatever. Everybody has this, 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 uh, you know, some degree of struggle with it. But I mean, it's also, it's also sort of hopefully, filtering out perhaps all of the things that um, I don't want to say were unnecessary because that's not, that's not what I mean, but it's, it's, I think it's helping you distill. Okay. What really is important here? Like when you look at, you know, I, I noticed when kids were going back to school, especially here in Canada in early September and you'd hear teachers and principals, like they were just so excited to see one another, like, mm -hmm. like forget everything else. Like I got to see, I got to be with kids and yeah, it's not perfect. And there's all kinds of, things that you could complain about but you did see that one and and if you if you sort of skip over that and just say well yeah but but this isn't good and that's not good and we didn't do this right yeah you'll miss out on the fact that but that but you got to see one another which was pretty cool and so i think you know i talk about i talk about it as being um you know something that that should be should be what learning is like learning is is this idea where uh like we, we almost take joy in, in the struggle or joy in the fact that, oh, this is pretty hard right now. I mean, again, people use the video game example, right? Where, where you're not successful right away, but you're actually enjoying the part where it's kind of hard mm -hmm. because you, you do see some hope. And so, yeah, you want to have educators and, and leaders that provide hope to say, hey, there's going to be a better day or we're going to move forward. But in the midst of it, you're still sort of finding finding these moments that says that's pretty cool that I got to be with a kid today, and I just even hearing teachers on, you know, talk about little things that happen like hey, all my kids my kids came early today for their Zoom call or whatever it might be, right? Like they're they're noticing those those aspects of of um, life right now that you probably didn't notice before, and they, and they do sort of feed your soul, I guess, or bring you joy. Yeah, and like Patrick Larkin actually talked about, uh, he, he wrote this blog post. I've talked about it several times. I thought it was really interesting. And I struggled with it at first. And he talked about like, what are you grateful for uh, because of this time? And I, I'm sure like gratitude and joy, there's obviously a connection between the two. And when I first read it, I'm like, that is super selfish. Like, you know, people are literally sick, dying, like, you know, obviously to that extreme, uh, you know, struggling with uh, socioeconomic, so many things going on in the world. And to like, think, why would, how could I find, you know, gratitude in this time? And then I started to think about it. And then I started to actually say, okay, well, what am I grateful for? And, you know, as someone who's been on the road for probably the last 10 years, the, the opportunity to have dinner with my daughter every day for, you know, months was something I was grateful for. And what I found was when I started focusing less on like, oh, like I'm not, you know, I'm worried about this with this aspect. I'm worried about this. I actually took the spotlight off of what was going wrong with me and to find like, where's the joy, where's the happiness in my life. And it actually gave me more energy to help others. And I don't know if that makes sense, but 
that's where then it started to make sense to me because at first I thought like, this is ridiculous. Like, how can we, you know, like I said, find joy in this time. But I think if you can find it in that process, if you can find, you know, uh, in those little things and, you know, I I liken, you know, as you're talking about people coming back, I kind of think of like a version of, uh, you know, I'm sure you saw the movie love actually like the airport scene. Everyone's like happy to see each other and there's excitement there too. Right. And so I don't know what what you think. Like, is there a connection between like gratitude and joy and, you know, kind of being grateful for some stuff that's happening right now? I mean, there's no question to get, and the science behind that is now pretty clear in terms of like what that does when you, when you implement those things. So, I mean, I think, I think that's something, again, lots of teachers naturally do, but I think for, for those of us who perhaps maybe that isn't our first go-to thing is to be grateful for things. I think, you know, having that kind of, habit of writing it down or, or, you know, talking to students about it too. Cause I think that's the other thing that's, that's so important right now is that as educators now you're almost the sort of that, those, you know, a broker of hope and joy, right? Like how can you, how can you create hope for a kid? And, and, and again, and knowing that students are coming with crazy, they always have, and you're just, we're just now more aware of than ever of the inequities that exist, you know? And so we know that, that kids are struggling and they have all kinds of other problems, but you know, could, could teachers somehow, could we through our actions, you know, provide that, that source of joy and, and the fact that people want to, I mean, you talk all the time too about like, would you want to be, you know, a student in your own classroom? And, and this is a time to say like, what's my classroom going to be like? Is it going to be a place that, that says, Hey, this is awesome. Like I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm here. And I think about, I think about, you know, staff rooms that, that, that I've been, you know, you've involved in over the years. And when there was certain chemistry among staff, you wanted to be in the staff room whenever you could, because it was a place that was going to energize you. It was going to be a place that would lift you up. And then there was maybe other times where it's a couple of people on there that were kind of like, you know, like I just didn't even want to go. Cause like, I'd know I'd go there for 15 minutes and come out leaving drained. And like, I, right. like I, that's not how I, I don't need that. And I just think about that in terms of what you do for your students and how we can, how we can make sure our kids feel that kind of energy and hope. Yeah. And, and, and like, I, I think over the years, uh, really having those interactions, right? Like I, you know, the, the analogy of like, the, are you a fountain or a drain? You know, it's, it's already emotionally exhausting work and, you know, we got to find those moments to kind of lift each other. Um, I was looking at your, um, I actually like have written a lot referenced you in my blog and I can, I just looked up the tag of your name and found like a ton of things that were shared, but I found this like one tweet and it's just like the only time I've actually just tagged Shiresky, not Dean Shiresky. And it's, I don't know if you remember this Twitter avatar, but you're like, it's black and white. You're wearing a toque. Like, do you remember this one? Do you remember that avatar? I don't. You had? I don't. It's, it's an old one, right? Uh, and it's, and so this is what you shared. I do not know the date of this tweet. I know it's old though. Uh, I'm guessing like 2012 or earlier. And you shared, uh, I don't care what anyone says. This whole connected learning stuff still amazes me. Might not be the total answer, but there's something to it. So this is probably, I don't know. I don't have no idea how old this tweet is. I just know by the avatar it's old. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you how do you feel about that because like I know that when like you Alec you know my brother uh Will Richardson 
coax me into like sharing and learning, you know, I saw some huge possibilities, but also I've changed some of my thinking over the years. I think, which is a natural evolution of this stuff. Like, how do you see like connected learning in our world today? And do you see it that same, you know, positive opportunity that you, you once saw it as? Well, I mean, I, th- I think it's changed, but I would say, I mean, you also have to keep in mind, like, for me now, I'm probably, you know, a good 15 years into doing this. And so it with, if I said this in 2012, let's say, um, you know, there were a whole lot of teachers who are now listening to this podcast that were not connected with anybody in 2012, uh, either because they were, you know, they weren't even teaching yet or, you know, there's a lot of growth in, in terms of connected educators since that time. So um, I'm already talking, you know, and you and I have had these conversations about, yeah. you know, make, make Twitter great again, right? Like it's, we've been doing it for so long. And for right. some people they're going like, I just got on Twitter. What are you talking about? Right. So, right. but <clears throat> I think when I wrote it at the time, it, it still was, you know, realizing kind of going back to this conversation about almost like gratitude, it's like, holy crap, like here I am 2012 and I can talk to somebody uh, anywhere I want to. And I know so many people and I've developed a network of people that, that I actually like, like I can trust and I know them. And so I think it's, it was more of a, again, a bit, bit of gratitude. The fact like this is still a really powerful thing. And yeah, I would say today, um, I think the idea of having like trusted people that I know in various uh, capacities in education still remains a pretty big asset to me, like in the work that I do right now, because it doesn't matter where I am, who I'm talking to. And someone says, well, gee, I'm struggling with this. Like I already know in my head, Oh, there's, I know five people right now that I could connect you with who would help you out. So I think in terms of that resource, that still remains powerful. I think, you know, I, I, I've often kind of tried to navigate the difference between networks and communities. I think there's a distinction there that's important to, to understand. And so I still think the idea of having a strong, robust network of, of weak ties, if you will, like people that don't owe me anything, I don't owe them anything, but we still, we still benefit from one each other's sharing and, and so forth. I think, I think is still there. I think there's, you know, if we were to talk about it longer, like there's some sort of some changes that have happened. And I think you and I, you, I just, you know, yeah. kind of had this conversation about things you can and can't say on Twitter anymore, because we're just, it's not necess- always a quote unquote safe, safe place to share. Just because if I share something that doesn't come across the right way, I'm worried that someone's going to attack me. That wasn't the case when we first started. Cause number one, there were fewer people and, and people were there seemed to, um, and even in blogging, right? Like seemed to just take people at face value and didn't, didn't want to add a whole bunch of other uh, baggage to whatever that conversation is. I think we've got to be a lot more guarded now, unfortunately, I think than we were before. And so that makes network building perhaps a little trickier, I would say, but I think, I think for me, like, um, and, and like you said, you have been doing this probably like for 15 years, probably uh, like you were using Twitter when I don't even think mentions were a thing. You you actually make fun of me. No, they weren't. Because my <laughs> my first tweet is Alec, where are you? Right, like not at Alec. It's just it's just like a terrible tweet, right? Yeah. And 
you were there before me and like one of the, the evolutions for myself kind of going through this process. I like, I remember uh, Alec getting on me like, you need to get on Twitter. You I'm like, this is stupid. I'm not going on there. Got on there one Christmas, uh, followed like Shaq, Justin Bieber. I'm like, this is stupid. I don't get it. And then a year later I started using it. And then this light bulb goes off on in me and I see the value in it. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, everyone needs to use this every like if you're not using this you're like irrelevant and like you're missing out and then and then thinking and then watching other people three years later kind of go through that same progression saying and then it's kind of like well where were you five years ago right like everyone kind of joins these spaces and so i think for me one of the evolutions is that i'm not like hey you have to be on twitter you have to be in this but i do think that find that find a space where you can connect past your own school community because there is that opportunity, right? Like whether I don't really care if you're on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you got like a LinkedIn group, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's, there's an opportunity. Whereas that used to be like, no, you must be on Twitter. This is the only place. This is the best place. Right. And so kind of seeing that shift and, you know, I, I know that I've learned a lot, but then I also, you know, you talk about weak ties, but I've built some strong ties. Like I can text sure. you anytime. Uh, I, I remember Dwight Carter uh, years ago, he asked me something, he DM me and I'm like, I never talked to my life. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to phone you. And then him and I talked for 90 minutes, never ever having an interaction. Like we were old friends and we've been connected ever since. And I think there's a power in that too, is that we've had this opportunity to kind of like learn and, and lead. And, and I remember, I'm going to ask you about this and we always joke about this, but I'm going to get your thoughts on this. Uh, you used to bug me all the time talking about how everyone could be a leader. And we've had this and I have video of you talking about this concept. I don't know if you remember we're in Indiana. I asked you this question in front of everybody. So what, why, why have you had a, tell me about that statement. What do you think of that statement? I'm not going to put words in your mouth. That whole everyone could be a leader concept that you always made fun of me about. And let's just hash this out right now. Well, I think I think it's because the way you said it too, everybody can be a leader. I think there's a lot I never of said it like in that. It too. I think I think you did. I think that's why. I think that's why. I never, was never. So. Tell me, tell me, like, <laughs> with that because I've got, I've got, I, you know, like it's, it's. I don't believe everyone can be the principal, right? That, right. And I think when we look at it, at like. Uh, but I think everyone, I think per, for me, it's really kind of looking at leadership in a different lens and that everyone can have like significant contributions to help other people move forward, right? Sure. So I think you would agree with that, I'm assuming, right? But I think the, sure. the notion of like the tradition, not, I don't believe everyone could be the traditional leader of an organization, but I think some of the best leaders are great followers in moments where that's needed as well too, right? For sure. For sure. I, I guess what, I mean, in, in seriousness, I guess what I would say is that I right. believe that everyone can. What I, what I do think, though, is that I don't, I don't think everybody wants to be a leader, and I don't think everybody needs to be a leader, I guess. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's the Like, what, the when you say leader, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean when you say that? Well, I think when, so one of the things that I think, and again, I'm putting, I'm, I'm speculating and thinking about, I'm thinking about what you mean by it. So if you're thinking about, let's say I'm a, you know, I'm a classroom teacher, yeah. uh, but I'm doing something, whatever, interesting in my classroom, innovative. Um, and, and I, I think I'm, I'm excited about it. 
And so like, I'll, I'll let, we'll get very specific. We'll talk about um, uh, daily five, which is a pretty, you know, right. strong uh, reading or approach to literacy that, that a lot of folks use. Let's say, and, and I'll say this because my wife was really into it for a while. And so she would not in any kind of uh, overt way, but she did all the work when she started talking to her other colleagues in the school about it and saying, hey, like, I'm really finding this really useful. It's really helping me with everything from discipline to student learning, and I really like it. And so she sort of just developed a little bit of a mini club and, and, and got other people involved in it. So I, I would say there's an example, right, of a teacher being a leader. Like she yep. was excited about something, took some initiative. Um, and that's fine. But I also think that there would be teach. There's a lot of teachers who, um, uh, like, they for whatever reason they they just struggle when it comes to. And I mean, maybe they're leading by example. You might want to argue that if they're doing good work and other people know it, that's fine. But they wouldn't. They probably at that point wouldn't consider themselves a leader because they're not maybe doing anything. Um, sort of intentional around I'm going to make sure that people know these things and 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 I think that's um, I guess that's where I would not not to say that people can't do it they, they couldn't be a leader I just don't know that everybody wants to be a leader so the statement should be everyone can be a leader but you don't have to be if you don't want to kind of <laughs> <laughs> well so okay this I think part of it too is when I was in administration and when I was in education I think part of this that I, and I've really struggled with this in education is that we often like elevate people across the world and downgrade people across the hall. And it's, you know, like this is a, you know, it's a biblical term, but it's used in education. Like you can't be a prophet in your own land. Right. And my, my question is like, why not? And I think a lot of times we, we don't elevate others in our own organization. And I, and part of the role when I was a principal vice principal was like, how do I ensure that my staff see the valuable contributions that other staff in this own school have? And like, I, we did this uh, professional learning thing for the entire year and the staff had to go in a group based on what they wanted to lead within the school. And they didn't have to do it on their own. Um, they did it as a group, but they created the initiatives for our school district. They, or for our school, they created uh, the measurements of success. And it was that, that idea is that I wanted, like it was the idea of like really wanting people to feel value for themselves and value for one another. Because I, I think it's, you know, a lot of people talk about this in education that they'll do something really incredible and their staff has, jealousy or hatred toward them, you know, and I'm talking, that's just, you know, those are personal anecdotes that I'm hearing from people, but like, I, I struggle with that because then if you don't want the person across the hallway to succeed, what, what if that was your student at one point? Like we want all of our kids to do well and are we lifting them up? So I think maybe that's where that ultimately came from. And I'm just kind of talking out or thinking out loud through that point. So I don't, I don't know if that's where that ultimately came. Well, yeah. And I, I think too, like, I think that's, that's always, that's a good point around, uh, you know, sort of encouraging, encouraging that. And I think as leaders, and again, yeah. however you define that, like, I, I, you know, when you talk about, oh, we're, we're so quick to give people praise from across the globe, but not across the hall. I think one of the reasons we can do that is because I don't have any, there's no, 
there's no ramifications for me for sharing a teacher in Australia that's doing real cool work. And I'd say, hey, you should see this teacher. They're just doing amazing stuff. But if I say it here, then I have to think about, um, and again, it's not a reason not to do it. Right. But I want to make sure that if I, if I, and it's the same thing you would in your classroom, right? If you kept calling on the same kid all the time saying, oh, look how awesome George is. He does all this good work. If you're, if you're the other kid in the back, like you're thinking, well, how come he doesn't say anything nice about me? And, and as a teacher, you should be hypersensitive to make sure that you do yeah. acknowledge all of your kids' strengths. And so I think the point of that is to say we should definitely be giving praise to our teachers, but we got to make sure it's, it's evenly distributed. And then you get into this whole political thing, like if I can't – and you hear this, right? Basically, if I can't do it for everybody, I do it for nobody. So then I think what, what often happens is that nobody gets credit for anything, which is – that's a bad way of doing it too. So I think, I think, yeah, we should, we should default to, um, you know, trying to understand everybody's contribution and what they make. And it's, you know, when somebody, and, uh, but the reality of it is right. There will be teachers and there will be students who make more contributions and so. probably deserve more recognition than others. Right. But as leaders for fostering that culture together, we've got to make sure that everybody gets, their sort of credit. Well, it's, it's interesting because as I'm thinking about that, just even not only that they get recognition, but we recognize them in a way that is beneficial to them. I, I don't know if beneficial is the right term, but in a way that works for them. So I'll give you an example. It's authentic to them, right? Yeah. yeah like, so for me personally, uh, sometimes I get frustrated. I'm like, how come I don't get, like, how come I don't get this award? How come I'm not getting this, right? How come I'm not getting praise for this? And then someone will say, hey, George, uh, like, I really love that you did that. And I'm like, oh, don't even mention it, <laughs> right? It's like, you complain that you're not getting it, then you're getting it, you're like, ah. Oh. Like, and like, I feel like almost embarrassed in that moment. And I think about my, you know, like, and sometimes, like, obviously, sometimes I want that public praise, right? It's, it's good. Whereas I remember my one assistant principal she, if you praise her publicly, she'd be mortified. Like it was like the worst thing you could ever do. Right. Like, and she wanted, she, she wanted to be appreciated things like that. But she, if you did that in front of other people, she hated it. And I, like, I always think about that, uh, like how different that was. Cause I, like, I wanted some of those kudos too. Right. You know, you, it's, there's, it's part of, you know, who we are. I had a, I had an interesting, I uh, did an interesting exercise with a group of teachers the other day, just as a sort of a, a, an opening uh, part of a session I did, as I asked them, when was the last time you were validated? And that was a really good conversation because it, it, to your point, a lot of people feel validation in different ways. Like sometimes it's very public where someone, oh, I, my principal said, good job. Yeah. Somebody got a note from a parent. Somebody just uh, I, I can't remember. It was a really interesting sort of point of validation. Like it was like this nonverbal situation where, and again, I'm, I'm making this up, but to make the point right. said like all my students came on time. Like I felt like Val. So when you think, when you start, I think as leaders, that's actually a really good question to ask mm -hmm. people because to your point, then you begin to understand what, what constitutes like validation for people and what they find really valuable and what others like, cause someone said, well, you had this, somebody made a big announcement over the intercom. Yeah. That didn't, didn't matter to me and but something else might so i think that's a you know i think to your point everybody's going to feel that in different ways yeah and and talking about empowering voice i wanted to uh i was looking up a couple articles and i i like you one of the things i really like about your blog dean and first of all your blog is very nice i just want to throw that out there your blog is nice yeah it is <laughs> so just for the people that why i said that 
when you have a blog, you'll get the occasional spam troll comment. And <laughs> one time, Dean Chereski had a spam comment from somebody and all they wrote was, your blog is nice. And I just left it up. <laughs> he just left it up. And then I, on the same blog, said, yeah, hey, just as the person, one, that one person said, I also believe your blog is nice. And then put in my comment. And now anytime I comment on your blog, I have to make sure that you know it's nice. But yeah, that's nice. <laughs> this is what I, I love that. That was one of the funniest things. So this, uh, I, like I know, and I know this of you too. Uh, like one of the things I like was saying about how reading your blog, like it, the, the whole thing, I want people to like think, right? I don't want to like say, this is how you do things. This is how it should be. I want someone to like kind of struggle a little bit with some of the ideas I'm sharing. And you do a really good job on that. And one of the things that uh, I've been an advocate for, and I know you have been too, is really kind of like empowering student voice. But you wrote this one um, article and we'll link it here uh, in the in the YouTube comments. And you talk about the importance of like tapping in to student voice and how important that is. But you say this, uh, but providing increased say in power of students shouldn't negate the knowledge, wisdom, and dare I say the authority of adults who provide the structure and foundation of education. So like can unpack that a little bit because I, I think it's a really, because I think we can go overboard on stuff too, right? Like I think we do. But it, it's a, that. Yeah, I think it's a response to, and I've written a lot about sort of uh, sort of the yes, but uh, um, addition to things like personalized learning. And so, I mean, inquiry, personalized learning, students driving their own learning, uh, all of those things, 100%, yes, we need to do more of that because I don't think that we've done a good enough job of that. But I, I can speak personally from, you know, my own teaching and probably going down that road too far where, where I took myself more out of the, and I'm talking about working with adults now. So I think it's, it's right. even more important when working with kids is that I removed myself too much from the process in terms of inserting my own knowledge and understanding into, into their learning. And they looked to that. They wanted that. They wanted to know, well, what do you think about this? And what, what do you know about this? And sort of set up and so, which our tendency is to be, well, no, that's your job to sort of dive into this, to this topic and, and learn for yourself without a teacher. And again, you're, you're not, you can totally, you know, um, take over that by me. Now I'm going to lecture to you for, for an hour and tell you everything I know. And so, so I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, I guess it's, it's about a balancing act, but I guess I always, I mean, Gary Stager has a great quote. He says, uh, you know, we're, one of our jobs is to introduce kids to things they didn't know they loved yet. Right. Yeah. And so, so that's what our job is, right. Is to say, Hey, I want, I want, I want you to know that like, I mean, think about your own kids, right. I mean, if you just let, if you just let, um, Kalia eat whatever she wanted, she's not going to eat the stuff you know, the stuff right. that she should, she's going to eat candy and she's going to, cause those are the things that they like. And, and we want to give them, sometimes we want to let them choose, right? Hey, what do you want to eat? But we all say, yeah, but you should add this to your meal or whatever. Cause right. you need a little bit of that. So I think that's where, I think that's where we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel as teachers that we completely have to remove ourselves and not inject. I mean, you and I both talk about, I think the idea of, you know, uh, I, you know, sage on the stage, guide on the side. And then I always talk about meddler in the middle as a, as another right. one. And it isn't a continuum that, Oh, we want to reach this plateau. Where we're always here. It's oh. knowing when to go back and forth. Like sometimes yeah. I'm, 
I, sometimes I'm the boss right now and I'm going to step in and, and, and I mean, any teacher knows that, you know, when, when you have a classroom and, and there's, there's conflict or there's struggles, like you've got to come in and say, okay, this enough. And now we're going to move on to something else. That's, I mean, it's not the fun part of the job, but right. it's part of it. And I think when it comes to learning, I think we just always have to feel comfortable that says like, yeah, at some point I'm trying to release you to do this on your own and figure this out. And, you know, that's the, that's the end goal. But in the meantime, part of the scaffolding and part of, part of, I think what makes public education great is that a kid goes to school and has a whole bunch of different teachers. Some are good, some yeah. are bad, but they all have different interests and passions that like that's part of the learning is, oh, I, I can learn from this person who's really into motorcycles or this person and, and, and we bring those passions or this person's really into, you know, um, you know, music or whatever it might be. I think those are, I think we just need to make sure that teachers know they have permission to insert themselves into the, into the process. Well, and that like I, so like I, I'm all about student choice, uh, you know, empowering kids to have opportunity, but it's, I think that, uh, like we have, like I'm known for innovation, obviously, uh, in the work that I've been doing, the title of the podcast is Innovators Mindset, as is my book. Um, it's a big focus for me, but it's not, I'm against traditional practice. I'm against bad practice, right? But I think, you know, you and I tell stories all the time, and I always say stories are the oldest teaching practice in the world. They're very traditional. They're beneficial. I think that uh, we can go to the sense of like, oh, everything's about collaboration. I'm like, well, sometimes I really work well on my own. So can I have that time too? I need that space. And when I look at, um, you know, when I look at my own childhood, two of my biggest regrets are uh, not playing piano and not learning Greek. And I got out of playing piano. Like I love, like I played it for a bit and then I just wanted out and my parents never forced me to go to it. Like my parents uh, didn't really force me to, and I was like pretty motivated kid in some areas uh, I remember growing up in small town uh, Canada in, in Saskatchewan and Humboldt. We were the only Greek family. And I remember my mom speaking Greek to us. And I'm like, do not speak Greek. It's embarrassing, right? Like, because no one else, right? It was like, that's how I felt as a kid. And now these are things I wish I could do. And, I'm, you know, I can still learn them as an adult, but you, you don't have the same like plasticity to be able to learn them as, as what you were as a kid. And so like, I, I do appreciate that idea of like, we have to expose our kids to this stuff, but we also maybe sometimes have to push them after they're exposed and they might not like it at first. And I, and I don't know where that balance is, right? Because some kids might've hated that their parents forced them to play piano and they're, you know, can be a classical pianist, but they don't want to be right. So it's always that struggle with that. Well, for sure. And I mean, as parents, that's an easy one to think about. But, but um, I think when it comes to to the teaching part of it. um, Yeah, that was just the lesson that I learned was like, I just had students give me feedback around it, because I, you know, at the end of the course, you want people to give me feedback. And and I just had a few people say, uh, I wish you'd have been more involved in and I it wasn't it was my intention. I was intentionally removing myself from certain things. And then I realized like that wasn't, and again, the part of it was like, maybe not every kid, like to the point of it is like, it's not every kid's going to get this serving of me doing whatever. Right. But maybe there were times where like this kid actually needs a lot more direction and, and it's not, it's not that I'm cheating them or it's not that they're, it's just like everybody's going to need different stuff. And so I think 
you know, just being, being malleable in our practice is something that it's not easy, but I think that's, that's, that's a challenge we have to address. Yeah. And like, this is a, like, think about that, not only with teaching, but leadership. When I say to someone, Hey, like, how's your principal? And they're like, Oh, they're really nice. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Like, if that that's the, I don't know if that's a good answer. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not saying, Oh, they're like great leader. They really inspire. Like, no, they're nice. They're nice. Right. And I always listen to this. And what I have found uh, talking to a lot of people is that, you know, I hear people say like, I just want my principal to like get out of my way. I don't know if that's a good principle, right? Like, cause I think sometimes it's like stepping in and kind of knowing that person, pushing them in certain places, right? Obviously building those relationships, having that connection. But I know a lot of people that are, you know, excel in the profession, leave schools because they feel they've outgrown their mentorship. Like they crave growth. They crave wanting to get better. And if we just always like step out of the way and just let them do whatever, then, you know, then they might regress or leave. Right. And I don't think either one of those uh, can be a good thing if they're doing it because we haven't given them enough support. Uh, th there's a, I'm going to ask you one more education related question. Then I got a personal question for you. Um, you wrote and you know, uh, we're still all over the place in education. You know, I don't know if we're waiting for a vaccine or whatever, but uh, education's kind of throw off. And you wrote this blog post, uh, said, this is the time. And, and you said, uh, let your students lead when they are ready. This is the perfect time to let them follow their passions and interests, which is kind of interesting, you know, based on our last conversation. As a learning expert, you can be there to guide, support, and encourage a question. I practice self-assessment in my courses. There's no better time to use the strategy. This is the part that I really love. Whether you want to dive deep into portfolios or even the idea of going gradeless, you may, you may never have a better time to do so. And so kind of looking at what, you know, through this, what are some of the opportunities that you see, you know, having gone through what the educators have gone through in the last few months? Well, I mean, specifically that was, uh, really addressing what happened in the spring where there was a lot more latitude, I think, given to yeah. teachers because nobody knew what was going on. So I was really sort of, you know, really trying to encourage people who felt the capacity, like you get to try stuff now, like no one's going to be upset with you if you don't do this or that or the other thing, because everybody, you know, and, and it reminded me, <laughs> reminded me of like when I was at the school district, you know, I, I had a, <laughs> I had a pretty good run if you would, if you would around, uh, just trying stuff and nobody knew what it, nobody cared what I was doing. Cause it was like, like yeah. I was the technology guy and nobody even questioned anything. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Like, uh, this is, and I'm going, I'm going back now to probably 2000 and maybe seven. It was just, it was like months before the iPhone actually was available in Canada. Yeah. So the only smartphone available was the Blackberry at the time. And I had a teacher, I had a teacher uh, come up to me and say, what do we like, like these, my, there's a middle school teacher. Like, what, what do we do with these cell phones? Like she didn't even own them. Like, like, shouldn't, could they actually be a learning tool? And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Like, I, you know, still starting to emerge that, you know, cell phones might be able to be used in, you know, in some way. So we sat down and met with her and we actually had a partnership with our um, provincial uh, service provider, SASTEL. Our, our school district did. So I phoned the guy and I said, Hey, like, I'm just having this conversation. And anyway, all that came out of, they donated uh, uh, blackberries to every kid in this grade eight class and gave them a data plan. 
I did the whole thing, and my superintendent had no idea I had done it because I didn't ask. I just did it. And all of a sudden, on the annual report of SASTEL that year was a picture of this class from Prairie <laughs> South School Division. Called me in her office and said, uh, yeah, like, what is this? We did this? Anyway, that kind of almost started a, a process of like, you got, I got, you got to pay more attention to like what you're doing. Right. <laughs> and, and it's like, you've been <laughs> under the radar for all this time. So I had a pretty good run of just like trying stuff. So part of it was like, I thought this springtime, like you could maybe get, get away with some stuff under the radar. Now it's been interesting, of course, as, as school has started. Right. Um, there's still, I, I, my sense is, and I, I don't want to, I certainly can't speak for, you know, a, a lot of places, but my sense is there's a little bit more grace, but at the same time, you know, what people recognized happened in the spring was that like, it was kind of a little bit wild west, like right. one school's doing this, one teacher was doing this. And so right. they're trying to standardize it. And I get why that happened and I get why we're doing it now. Um, but I guess, you know, <laughs> maybe if I can rethink what I, what, how, what I stated there and think about like, well, how does that apply to today? Um, you know, I, I think anytime you can see an opportunity that says like, we, we actually can try something. And I think right. if you look at what your where our students are at now, I mean, everybody's trying to figure out the best way. So, I mean, let's talk about maybe even going gradeless or whatever. And, and again, I, I don't, uh, I had to submit grades. It wasn't that I didn't have, I mean, I just did it, but I just did it in a bit of a covert way where we actually had students that were doing a lot of the self-assessment and so forth. And, and again, I, I understand, I, I, I hate being trite on a blog and just trying to throw out something and then someone says, yeah, well, how am I supposed to do that? I understand there's there's yeah. challenges with it, but if, if we can have, and I mean, this is your whole thing, right? If we can have a mindset that says, well, maybe we could just try something. Like if this actually would make things better, why wouldn't we do it? So. I, I don't know the conditions that are out right now. And again, I, I empathize completely with teachers who are, who are just so tired at the end of the day trying to get through. But, you know, if there's, a, if there's some way that you can think about, like this is like, you know, there's a lot of different things that people can try and do differently, whether it's, whether it's agency or assessment or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, when things are, when there's a little bit of a change in the, in the, way things are done, often that's a good time to try something, you know, to in, insert sort of a new idea. So I, again, I, I hate being too pushy with that idea because I think it's, it's a very different time right now, but yeah. There, but anyway, I think, I think there's always, there's always a, um, a moment when, when uh, it's time to try something new, I guess. All right. So let's, let's, uh, let's move off of education here. So you actually make fun of my musical tastes and I, I don't do that to you because you don't have any. So <laughs> I want to know, cause we are so different in our music and I'm a big music guy. Who are, who are your top three Canadian music or bands? I want to know. And I want to know if I can name any songs from the bands that you list. Top three Canadian yeah. music band. I did this with uh, Sarah Westbrook. She's a, I had her on and she works in education oh. and she's a musician. So I want to see what your, what your uh, favorite Canadian bands are. Oh man. Uh, I mean, I guess. Is Rush like, one of them? No, I was never a big Rush guy. Uh, like it's almost like you got to be too, I don't know. They're, they're <laughs> everyone, almost like you got to be. the United States, everyone's like, oh, you're from Canada. Do you like Rush? I'm like. I don't know anyone that likes Rush. Like, I can't name a Rush song. 
I didn't have a bunch. I mean, I have, I can name a few Rush songs and I've actually watched quite a few documentaries about them recently, just cause I said like, well, how did I miss this Rush thing? Like, was I like asleep? Cause they, I mean, part of it was their songs were so stinking long. It kind of like, well, they're kind of like Genesis and the fact that they <laughs> didn't get as much radio play. Cause they just said, screw we'll Genesis. just do whatever. Yeah. Who's again? <laughs> okay. That's the problem. Okay, bare naked ladies probably okay. on that list. I, I know that one. I got I got there one you go. behind me. What else? Are <laughs> you reading this you off of something? Do you have this prepared? What's that? What are you looking at? You looks like I was looking at my Spotify just to see who I had on there. You can't name them off the top of your head. Okay, so don't even not go really. Canadian. Okay, so I got like Backman Turner Overdrive and like that. We're getting that's really, one. Really I couldn't. Old. Who? What? What are they saying? Oh, taking care of business. Uh, that's they're Canadian. Yeah, you didn't know that. Come on. No, I didn't. That's oh man. Okay, you got bare naked ladies, backman turner overdrive. Uh, who would else would I say? Like, I don't know. Would I say like the guess who? Would that be that's who? even old. I too. don't know who. <laughs> yeah. Who, guess. What's what <laughs> who who guess who uh is that Burton Cummings? Is that him? Yeah. Yeah. He that, lives in Moose Jaw, by the way. Did you know that? What's that? He lives in Moose Jaw, by the way. Did you know that? Oh, he does not. Seriously? Yeah, he does. Like he, he moved, does. He moved to Moose Jaw? Yes, from Los Angeles to Moose Jaw. <laughs> His girl like, has a girlfriend here. Uh, I've seen him in the store, yeah. yeah. Okay, so what's a, what's a... Okay, so the song These Eyes, is that Burton Cummings or Guess Who? Burton Cummings when he was with the Guess Who. So, I mean, he wrote it. But it's it, actually but, yeah. a Guess Who song. I think I yeah. like... I think I actually like them. I, I just I just know Burton Cummings. I, I didn't know that was uh, the same. Okay, so last question here. What's your favorite Wham song? <laughs> I, okay, know I only know I only know one. What? Name 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 go. three of them, and I'll tell you the best of three. Only three? I could go on forever. Yeah. Okay, so Careless Whisper is that's George Michaels. That's not Wham. Okay, so that's that's controversial because it's actually on a Wham album. So, but it was like a George Michael song on a Wham album. So there's that one. Uh, there's Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, which is great. There is uh, I Don't Want Your Free. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. Uh, they also have, and this is like from my childhood days, people don't know this, but before Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, Wham was like a rap group. I'm not even kidding. So they had this song called Young Guns, which is, I love it. Uh, and they have uh, the, I'm not even kidding. It's literally called the Wham Rap. <laughs> That's so I'm not, it's, it's good. And so like every phase of Wham, but then George Michael, and that was good. So like, wake me up before, like freedom's a good song. You like freedom. Yeah. That's, yeah I, I, that's George Michael. That's not Wham. No. Okay. So this is controversial. So <laughs> there's freedom. That was done by Wham. So, I don't want your freedom. That song, that's Wham. But then George Michael went on his own. Freedom, freedom. And he did Freedom. And it's like, I think it's like Freedom 90. Like it's, oh. it's like the year of it. So there but I was thinking both of those with George Michael though. No, no, because, because I know a lot about Wham and George Michael. Because sure that was like his, like him being himself and going you know and uh leaving the band and that was like it was like a it was like a i felt like it was like a response to the free the wham freedom and then he had like a george michael freedom 
So a little wham. This should be like a wham history channel. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> All right, man. Okay. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go listen to some wham now because I'm all up. I don't know why. I don't know why you make fun of Wham. They're one, They're probably one of the best bands of all time. Just saying. Uh, maybe. George Michael, musical genius, and he's Greek. So just saying, <laughs> right? Uh, so hey, Dean, where can people find you to follow your stuff? Uh, <laughs> they can find you in Moose Jaw with Bird. Yeah. Well, if it was, I could. You'd find me on the golf course if the weather was nicer, but that's not <laughs> happening. Okay, I'll just say people it. really want to find stuff. Okay, if you really want to find, Google oh, you could, you could, you could Google me. <laughs> Twitter at Shiresky. What's your what's your blog? Shiresky ideasandthoughts.org. Ideasandthoughts.org. Have you ever yeah. thought of changing that title? I don't know. Probably too okay, late. So I don't know if you even noticed, but you remember my, my blog. I don't even know if you know that I changed it. It used to be the principle, principle of change, but I changed it this last year. I just put okay. my name on it. Don't have a title for it. So one of the yeah. reasons I changed is because I wasn't a principal for a while. But the other reason is that I would get emails telling me that I spelled principal wrong. <laughs> and I have to say it's a play on words. <laughs> so I was just, I was sick of responding to that email. I'm like I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to change my blog to your blog is nice. This blog is nice. <laughs> I think that's a good, this blog is nice.com. You can find yeah. me at this blog is nice.com. All right, man. Well, it's that. always good talking to you. Thanks for the conversation. Make sure you connect with Dean. Uh, shares good stuff every now and then. <laughs> so I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, it's like you're very desperate for a podcast if I'm on here. That's all I'll say to this. Right. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, Dean, thanks for joining us. Take care, everybody. It's wrong. Can it be my daylight clothes or is it just my daylight song? What I do ain't make believe. People say I sit and try, but when it comes to being daylight, it's just me, myself.